a blessing. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and uh, verse number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13. I think if you made a, a list of top 50 verses in the Bible as far as verses that would encourage a person in their Christian walk, certainly there's some great verses that invite a man to salvation and a doctrinal uh, set of doctrinal verses, uh, foundational doctrines that are essential for the Christian life. But as far as verses that encourage the growth of a believer, I'd put this probably in the top 25. And uh, what an important verse this is. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And if you know much about this church, he has to scold them quite a bit in this letter. And he, uh, he scolds them for being babies. And uh, he said, you're like little baby Christians, carnal is what he called them. And he's very frank with them. There was some immorality in the church and hadn't been dealt with by leadership like it should have been. And, um, and so he has to fix some problems. There's division and fighting and so forth. Um, uh, but he says some very encouraging things to this church. And he lends a voice of confidence to them, even uh, when he is straightening them out. He says, you know, I believe you're going to make it. And this verse that he gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, encapsulates a very important truth that will help you to continue on, not get discouraged in your Christian life. Stand with me, please, and read 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 13. If you want uh, to take note of a verse that I think would greatly help you, were you to commit it to memory, uh, 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 put this on the, uh, the list of those kinds of verses, all right? This is the kind of verse that, if you memorize, will help you tremendously in years to come. Read aloud with me just this one verse, verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Let me define a couple words. There hath no temptation taken you. That word temptation uh, is uh, uh, much akin to our word testing. And it certainly includes uh, what you and I would typically think of as a temptation. Uh, it's a, it, that's a test. Here's an opportunity to see and what are you going to do about it. And so it's that kind of a test. But it encompasses more than that. Just the normal everyday tests. How many, how many of this week somebody tested your nerves? Okay, okay, all right, all right. All the parents' hands went up. Uh, okay, so so it's it's a it's a broader than just. I want you to think of more than just temptation to sin. That's certainly part of it, but it's bigger than that, uh, and it encompasses all kinds of different tests in a Christian life. So there is no temptation, test, trial, if you will, taken you or overtaken you or coming into your life, but such as is common to man. Common to Man. In other words, it's an experience shared by mankind at large. It's an experience. You know, listen, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Hey, uh, unsaved people have problems like saved people. People who go to church have grief like people who don't go to church, right? And so it's a, it's a human kind uh, uh, fact. It's not just, you know, unique to us or any particular group. It is encompasses all mankind. But, next phrase, God is faithful. Somebody say amen right there. God is faithful. God doesn't change. Always the same. He's always there. Oh, God is faithful. Everlasting arms. Hallelujah. Who will not suffer. Notice the word suffer. That word means allow. That's an older English word. We don't use it that way much anymore. It still means what it means. And it would certainly be proper today to use it in that context. But uh, uh, maybe a more modern word that you would understand would be to allow. Suffer means to allow. Uh, 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 so he said, I will not suffer you. I will not allow you. I won't let this happen. In other words, I will not allow you to be tempted, tested, tried, above that ye are able. Above that ye are. That's a wonderful truth. God promises in this verse, I will not let you be tested above your able, but I will with the temptation also make a way 
to escape. Look at me. Look at me. Listen. If you're breathing and the devil ever tells you there's, there's no way out, he's a big fat liar. Because God said otherwise. You ever come what you think is the end of your rope and you're hopeless and you're contemplating the world might be better off without you. Don't you let the devil lie to you. God said there is a way of escape and don't let you, the devil tell you otherwise. No temptation has taken you. It's common to man. God won't let it be more than you can bear. There is a way of escape and you can bear it. That ye may be able to bear it. Curious title. You'll understand in just a moment. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning. The gossip cure. He said, what's gossip in that verse? You'll see it in a minute. The gossip cure. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we as God's people learn something more than just how to rein in our tongues that are used too often for destruction. But help us to learn this fundamental truth that will transform our spirit and attitude to one another. And help us, Lord, to be humble and helpful rather than proud and hurtful in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Man, one sat on this platform on our staff. It's such a blessing to me. And now stands in a pulpit this morning, preaching, no doubt, at this very moment as I preach. He grew up in a church. His father was a bus captain in the bus ministry of the church. The church had a young pastor come. The church was growing and thriving. And uh, in a small church soon became a church of 300. Many, 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 many souls were one to Christ by an aggressive uh, uh, door-knocking uh, home visitation pastor who believed in personal soul winning, confronting folks with the gospel, which is the biblical pattern. And God was blessing his hum- humility and his work. The work got to where he couldn't handle the load. And he hired an assistant pastor, a young man, uh, by, by all means seemed like a good man. But what he didn't know is that he had a critical tongue. And it wasn't too long until the young assistant pastor thought that he knew more than the pastor whom God had used to build the church. And he began going around and pointing out the faults and the failures. And the pastor had them just like you and I have them. And it wasn't long till a disgruntled spirit infected that church. And some folks got together and uh, joined in with the assistant pastor and said, you know, we don't think our pastor's qualified anymore. And uh, and uh, we think maybe God's done with him here. And uh, and you know his faults and so forth. And, and a vote was called on a Sunday night in a business meeting. The vote was taken, and it tipped the way. And, uh, Pastor, we want you to resign. Pastor stood up in the congregation that night in the business meeting. He was present in the business meeting. He stood up, and he said, uh, I will resign. He said, but before I go, I want you to see something. He said, if I came to your home and invited you to this church, you were saved and out of church, but you got back in church because I came to your home and visited you or I met you in the grocery store or on the street somewhere, or I came to your home and led you to Christ or I led you to Christ in town somewhere and you and your family are sitting in this church tonight because I personally came to you and won you to Christ or invited you to church and got you back where you're right with God, would you stand? 95% of the congregation stood that night. I said, you may be seated. He said, now, if this man standing on the platform next to me led you to Christ, got you in church, I want you to stand. And not a single person stood. He said, I just want you to see what you did. And he walked out the door. That that church never thrived thereafter. Why? Because the Bible said a tongue is like a fire, set on fire of hell. A gossiping, critical, tale-bearing tongue has destroyed homes, destroyed marriages, destroyed ministries, destroyed churches, destroyed characters and reputations, destroyed the hope of many a person. Oh, God, help us this morning to find the gossip cure. I heard a story. I don't know if it's true or not. It might be true. If it's not, it's legend. If it's, if it's just that, it still makes a good sermon illustration. But anyway, a, a lady was a known gossip, got, got her tongue loose in the church and started gossiping about the pastor and saying this and that. And uh, what I'm trying to say in these illustrations is pastors are, are wonderful people. Don't gossip about them. Say as many nice things as you can about them. Anyway, that was supposed to be funny. But nonetheless, 
this story, legend, whatever it is, uh, has a good moral to it. But anyway, but uh, in this story, the lady went around and gossiped about the pastor and spread folks stuff all over the town about the pastor and got folks a little disgruntled and so forth. And then one day, God got a hold of her in a church service, a revival meeting. Perhaps God's spirit came down and folks were coming to the altar and getting right. And God got a hold of her and she got her heart right. And the next day, she showed up at the pastor's office. She said, Pastor, you know, I got right with the Lord last night. I'm here just personally. So I'm so sorry. I said all those bad things about you. And, and, I, and I hurt the church and I hurt, your, hurt you and your good name. And I'm so sorry and I hope you'll forgive me. He said, uh, I forgive you. He said, well, won't you come back tomorrow? I have something I want you to do. She said, Pastor, I'll do anything. I've hurt you. I've hurt the church and I'm sorry. And God knows my heart. He said, come back tomorrow. I have a, I have a, a little job I want you to do. She said, I'll, I'll gladly do it. She came back to the pastor's office the next day, and when she came in, curiously, he had a bag in his hand. His bag, the bag was full of feathers. He said, now, I want you to do something for me. He said, I want you to go down to the business corner in town, right in the middle of town, and I want you to take this bag of feathers. I want you to shake it out. She said, shake it. I said, yes, yeah, shake it out. All over, shake it out. All over, right there, right there on the sidewalk on the busy corner of town. She said, that, that's a strange request. She said, but I'll do it, pastor. He said, thank you. He said, when you get done, I want you to come back to my office. She went downtown, stood on the street, uh, what she thought was a busy street corner in town, and she took that, took that bag and she shook those uh, uh, feathers like that. And, and, of course, the wind caught several of them. Some of them hit the, a moist spot and stuck. Some of them get carried by the wind. Cars came by and stirred them up. A few more went on that one. One stuck on a windshield and so forth like that. And then she went back to the pastor's office. When she got back, she said, I did what you asked me to do. He said, I have one more thing to ask of you. She said, what's that? She, he said, I want you now to go back, take your bag, go back, and I want you to collect all those feathers and bring them back to me. She said, Pastor, that's not possible. He said, you're right. He said, I just want to illustrate something. I accept your full apology, and I appreciate you giving it to me. But I want you to know all the words you said. You can't go retrieve them all, and you can't undo the damage. Now, can I tell you something, my dear friend? Don't you let that tongue that God gave you that's meant to glorify God, that's meant to exhort and lift up the saints, grace in our lips, the Bible calls it. We ought to treat better, talk to, to folks better. They talk to us and treat us. Don't you let that tongue be used to be set on fire of hell and destroy somebody's life. How can we get there, Pastor? I'll give it to you this morning. The secret is in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. The Bible said, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now look at me for just a moment. All mankind, according to this verse, faces the same kinds of temptations. In other words, every one of us are open to the same temptations, the same trials that others in the world are open to. Let me make some statements in the message this morning. Statement number one, we're all made of the same stuff. We're all made of the same stuff. In Genesis, the Bible says that God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. Then he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Amen? Man became a living soul. We are all made out of the same stuff. We are made out of dirt, every one of us. Now, if you still think you came from an amoeba that uh, graduated into a fish, that graduated into a frog, that graduated into a monkey, that graduated into a university professor, then I got news for you. Uh, you didn't. You were created by God. You're God's special creation. Amen? That's who you are. And, uh, and uh, so we're all made out of the same stuff. We all came from the dust of the ground. Psalm 139 says we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're uniquely made. We're like snowflakes. We're all the same, but we're all different. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad there's only one you? Aren't you glad there's only, we're glad there's only one you. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but we're all the same and yet we're all unique, right? That's the way God made us. We're made us. We have common life experiences. We have common attributes. Uh, uh, we have fingers, toes, so on and so forth, uh, emotionally and, uh, uh, in our soulish area, our mind, will, and emotions in our physical bodies and so forth. Uh, uh, we have similar attributes and yet we're all just, uh, we're all unique. And, uh, this is God's Handiwork. We're all made of the same stuff. Now let me tell you something. That ought to affect our attitude toward mankind. Charles Evans Hughes lost California in Electoral College by a few thousand votes. If he had won it 
that those few thousand votes, if he had won California, he would have won the presidency. He would have been one of our presidents. He was a God-fearing man. He uh, uh, was a, our chief justice, of course, uh, and uh, served in leadership in our nation for quite a few years. And what a great testimony. When he moved to Washington, D.C. to be the uh, chief justice, he joined the Baptist church. On the day he joined the Baptist church, uh, about a dozen people, including, uh, uh, in addition, in, about a dozen people and Chief Justice Charles Evans Hughes and a laundryman, who was a Chinese immigrant, who was a laundryman. That's what he did for a living. At the close of service, those who came for membership began to come and line up, and 12 folks went on this side, and the Chinese immigrant was over here. Chief Justice Charles Evans Hughes was joining the church that day, and he came down the aisle and went and sat over here next to the Chinese immigrant. Now, I've heard the story told more than once, more than one different way, but I did a little research, and I believe this is accurate. If it's not accurate, then it's inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> but I believe it's accurate. And if it's not, it's, it's real close. But I, I, I look... Uh, 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 respected historian that did his research in this, and I and I trust the source. So the best as I can tell, this is as closely as I know how to tell the story to what actually happened. Twelve folks came to join church over here. Chinese immigrant Charles Evans Hughes comes, sits next to the Chinese uh, uh, immigrant. One by one, the pastor uh, introduced each of, said a little something about the new members that came, and then uh, finally uh, the uh, the Chinese immigrant, and then. The notable, honorable Charles Evans Hughes. And then from the pulpit that morning, the pastor said, Isn't it wonderful that the ground is level at the foot of the cross? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. 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 A laundryman, a chief justice of the Supreme Court, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I got news for you. There's no big shots in God's family. Amen. And by the way, since there's no big gods in uh, big shots, there's a big God. Amen. I gotta be careful here. I just about cussed. Big. Don't think about what I almost said. Big shots in God's family. There ought to be no big shots in God's church. Amen. Amen. And uh, and I love that. I love that sweet thought. I love that sweet thought. Can I tell you something? We're all made of the same stuff. Amen. We're all made out of the same stuff. Now, you might have less hair than me or more hair than me. You might have a little more pigment in your skin than I have pigment in my skin. You might have bigger feet than I have. Amen? Uh, But we're all made out of the same stuff. Amen? All made out of the same stuff. Now, that ought to affect our our view of mankind. Uh, uh, We ought to believe in the dignity of mankind. Number two, we're talking about the gossip here. We haven't forgot where we're going. The gossip cure. Number one, we're all made of the same stuff. Number two, we all find in ourselves what we find in others. We all find in ourselves what we find in others. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 taught us? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. How many of you were tempted this week to lose your temper? Now, come on, be honest now. Who was tempted this week to lose your temper? How many of you won't raise your hand because you're a Pharisee? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. How many of you, listen, how many of you rode too close on someone's bumper this week? You rode too close on someone's, come on, get it up there now. All right. And, uh, all right. How many of you got miffed with someone who rode your bumper too close this week? All right. There's, y'all can hate each other now. And, uh, all right, so the Bible said there's no temptation, no test trial taken us, and that's an imitation of sin as well, uh, but such as is common to men. We all find in ourselves what we find in others. Now, let, let, me, let me tell you how this makes me hopeful. This makes me hopeful because what I admire in others could be found in me. Think about that for a minute. We're all made out of the same stuff. Is that right? 
all the grounds level for the cross. So what I find in, in, in me, uh, we, I find in you. What you find in you, you find in me. We find in ourselves uh, what we find in others. Now, that gives me hope. There's men that I admire. Men that help me. And, and being in their company helps me. Uh, I think about the men who come and, and grace this pulpit right here. Uh, Dr. Tom Williams, of course, will be with us again this year at uh, 80, uh, 88 years of age this year when he comes, Lord willing, in the fall. And this great season, man of God, has so much to offer God's people. And uh, I like to be around him. He makes me want to pray. He makes me want to pray. He makes me want to walk closer with God. I, I uh, Brother Marvin Smith is so faithful to pray for us and minister and for pastor and, and he'll send me a message as he did. Usually it's in the late, late night hours or we are uh, hours of the morning when he sends it and he'll send me an encouraging word. And my heart is touched by and um, I'll just stay on the pulpit here, Jerry. And um, uh, my heart is touched by these men. Uh, they, they inspire in me uh, uh, to, to be uh, uh, to, to uh, uh, perhaps emulate some quality in their life or desire their influence in my life as men who, uh, who, uh, who uh, influence me for good. Uh, Dr. Ray Young, I, I don't get to spend uh, a great deal of time with him, uh, uh, but uh, he'll be here in the fall uh, for a Wednesday night service and preaching our young people and training our staff to uh, some. And, and, uh, but I, I want to be more organized personally. I want to strive in my personal development when I'm around him, just uh, his, uh, his uh, character and his commitment to the work of the Lord. I'm, I'm inspired. I'm inspired by him. And I, and I, and I, I want to be like him. Listen, can I give you some good, let me give you some good advice. Give us some good advice. Give it to me years ago. Good advice. Think of this, this, this formula. 80-10-10. Think of that formula. Let me tell you how to apply it. Spend 80% of your time with people who will pull you up in your Christian life. You know why some of you are struggling in your Christian life? You're still spending 80% of your time with the old crowd. What you need to do is spend 80% of your time with God's people. Now, then spend 10% of your time with folks who are where you are. Alright? So, so I would spend, uh, if I spend time with my dad, he's gonna pull me up. Uh, if I spend time with Brother Kevin, uh, we're kind of the same place. Then 10% of your time trying to pull people up. That's why I don't spend much time with Brother Hamilton. I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to pull him up. Trying to pull him up. Uh, you saw that coming, didn't you? Uh, but anyway, but if you'll do that, in your, listen, if you'll do that, if you do that, you'll enjoy it. The Bible said, uh, the prophet said, I'll give me to the great men. Proverbs said this, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Listen, you, you got, you got sitcom phrases memorized, movie quotes memorized. How about something Lester Roloff said? Bob Jones Sr. said. Curtis Hudson said. Vance Abner said. Listen, how about that? Memorize that. Amen. And he, how do you do that? Listen to him. Listen to him. Replay. I've already heard that sermon. You watch the same movie 17 times. Listen to the same sermon 17 times. Amen. Get around people who inspire you and help you. Amen. 80, 10, 10. 80, 10, 10. 80% of the time people will pull you up. 10% where you are. 10% pulling people up. But this, listen, there's also something in this verse and this truth that makes me tolerant and makes me patient. Now think of this. We said, number one, we're all made of the same stuff. We said, number two, we all find in ourselves what we find in others. It makes me hopeful because that means I look at someone whom I admire and instead of saying, well, I can never be like that. No, no, that's not true. No, no, that's not true. We're all made out of the same stuff. And that means the potential for good that's in another is potential for good in me, right? You see that? So don't let the devil lie to you. Say, well, I'll never be like so-and-so. Don't, don't, for, for, don't, don't worry about that. You, you are, you're made in the image of God and the struggles of life are common to all mankind. And if you see someone excel in a time of temptation, then know this, God put in you what He put in them and you can excel as well. But there's something in this verse even, it's beautiful too, and something that makes you more tolerant, and that's this. What I dislike in others can be found in me also. What I admire in others can be found in me, but what I dislike in others can be found in me. Now what that does, uh, that makes me more tolerant. 
That makes me poor patient. Anybody ever been on the highway and someone swerve a little bit and, 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 and make you nervous and you <sighs> Anybody ever do that? Mm-hmm. Anybody ever swerve and make somebody else nervous? Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is this. The capacity for both good and evil is found in every one of us. The capacity for good and evil is found in every one of us. Listen, let me tell you something. There, if you're breathing, listen, two, there's two extremes to this. One extreme is this. We get this idea that somehow there's this class of super-Christians. And there is no such thing. We're all flesh. We're all flesh. There is no, there is no subculture in Christianity, and then the upper echelon in Christianity, and then, you know, the really, like, Superman Christians, you know, in, in, no, no, there's no such, listen, we're all made out of the same stuff, and the weaknesses we find in others can be found in ourselves, the strengths that are found in others can be found in us. Listen, the great men that I've admired in my life, that I've read after, listened after, and followed after, some of them, I listened to them from beyond the grave, never met Bob Jones Sr. in person, Never met Lester Roloff in person, but I listen to those men. I read after those men. I hear their sermons still today. They being dead yet speak to me uh, from their recordings and from their writings. And I want to be influenced by them. That's part of that 80% of my time. I want to be influenced, but I also know enough about them to know they weren't perfect men. I remember, but I'll tell this illustration. Oh, my leash is back on. All right, here we go. Uh, 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 my uh, brother, I was talking about being at a sword conference years ago, and and he's a young man in his twenties at the time. He's sitting here, and Bob Jones Senior's uh, 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 sitting here. Lester Olaf sitting here. Excuse me, Lester Olaf's at the pulpit, and uh, John Rice is sitting here. Bob Jones Senior, man, you talk about a hall of fame. Lester Olaf, John Rice, Bob Jones Senior, and then a young preacher. And Lester always up preaching, just shucking the corn, and he always shucked the corn. And preaching against television, he got that in on every sermon somewhere. And he's preaching against television. And here is Bob Jones Sr., great, great man of God. And he leans over across this young preacher, leans over and says, John R., John R., in the middle of the sermon. And the young man says, oh, my goodness, what a moment. The man of God, Lester Olaf, is preaching. Bob Jones Sr. to my left. He's going to say something to the man of God, John Arise. Boy, this is going to be wisdom. And he's just salivating this young preacher. What great thing is this man of God going to say to the other man of God while the other man of God is preaching? And Bob Jones Sr. leaned over and said to John Arise, John R., I don't care what Lester says. I still like I love Lucy. Amen. That's all right for him to do. Don't you, don't you do that when I'm preaching it. You know what these men were? They were human. That's what they were. They were human. Lester Olaf, as you know, uh, was, was, was fastidious about his eating habits. And he used to poke on those other preachers who eat those biscuits and gravy and stuff like that and said, you guys are going to die young. You're going to die young. And he, man, he, was, he, he, he ate right and stayed fit and so forth like that. And, uh, and, 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 uh, uh, Brother House told this story. He was going through the airport, out of town, preaching out of town, and he's in an airport. And Lester Roloff was in the airport, and he was eating in the airport. And he was eating fried chicken. <laughs> Brother House went up behind him, and he started going, <laughs> like he was crying. And Brother Roloff turned around, and he said, I'd rather see my mother drunk than see you eat fried chicken, Brother Roloff. <laughs> now, listen, listen. You get this. You expel that 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 imagination out of your mind. That there's no there is no there's no super Christians. And and and, and you say, well, I, I can never folks come to church. But I can never be like those people. You know why you say that? Because you don't know what those people are like. Let me let me tell you about Deborah Harrison. I just called you Deborah Harrison, sorry. Deborah Harden. Deborah Harrison's in heaven. Let me tell you about Deborah Harden. No, I won't do that. Uh, but, 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 you want to hear? 
Listen, the truth is this. How many of you say, Pastor, I, I, I love this church. I attend this church. I come here regular. And, and I, I'm, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Say amen. amen. Hey, that's all of us. That's all, that's all we are. That's all we are. Don't you let the devil lie to you and say, well, you know, I can never be like that. Oh, baloney, baloney, baloney. You see something in a person in this congregation or some believer you know or some saint of God that's gone on to heaven, your grandmother, and you say, well, my grandmother, she just was such, so this way. Well, why don't you be like your grandmother? Why don't you say, God, you put that in my grandmother and she loved you. She loved the Word. Hey, the potential for good that was in your grandmother is potential for good in you because you're made out of the same stuff and the ground is level at the foot of the cross and no temptation's taken you but such as it's common to man. Amen. Number three. I said number one, we're all made of the same stuff. Number two, we all find in ourselves what we find in others. Number three, every human attribute has its opposites. Every human attribute has its opposites. You might say it this way. Every human strength has its corresponding weakness. You might say it this way. Every asset has its liability. Every plus has its minus. Every strength has its weakness. Every human attribute has its opposites. All right? Here's a person who stands for absolute moral purity, separated Christian life, which the Bible clearly teaches. We touched on it this morning in Sunday school hour, Second Corinthians six fourteen through 18. Over and over again, be ye holy for I am holy. Come out from under be ye separate. Love not the world, neither things in the world. Hey, we ought to believe in doctrinal purity. We ought to believe in moral purity. We ought to believe in separation from the world. And that, my friend, is a strength. But what's the flip side of that? It'd be real easy to become a Pharisee. It'd be real easy to kind of... Uh, Look down your nose at somebody who's not separated. Or somebody who doesn't hold the standard high. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. That that means this. That means when a person is strong, if you will, in an area of the Christian life, please understand, they also are or have a propensity to the opposite. A temptation to be a Pharisee. More so than the person who's half backslid, quite frankly. And the guy that's half backslid, he's probably not in danger of being a Pharisee. <laughs> right? But the person who's consecrated, separated, would tend to be tempted to be a Pharisee. Here's a person that's friendly, good personality, likes to talk to folks. Now, he's a people pleaser. I don't mean in a bad way, but I mean just he's congenial. And people have different personalities. Some say, I'm not, I'm not that way. Uh, uh, some of us are. Some of us talk for a living. And, uh, and uh, we like to talk to people. We enjoy it. We just, and God put that in us. But let me tell you what the flip side of that is. Uh, you, you, you probably are more prone to compromise. You know why? You don't want to hurt anybody. And when you're, when you're in the wrong kind of company, uh, rather than stick out and make somebody uncomfortable, you'll go along with something you know's not right. You know's not right. Why? Because you, you, you like people. And you want people to like you. And you understand what I'm saying this morning? I'm saying with every one of these strengths comes a liability. With every one of these assets uh, comes a liability. With a strength comes a weakness. Here's a person uh, uh, who's a, just a natural born leader. I mean, I mean, people are milling around trying to get something done and the leader walks in the room. All of a sudden, this is getting done, that's getting done, that getting done, things tick, tick, tick along. Now, a person like that, he uh, that's great. Listen, we, we got to have them. Leaders. School needs leaders. The country needs leaders. Military needs leaders. The church needs leaders. Home needs leaders. Leadership. Oh, my. Uh, 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 Dr. Lee Robertson, you say everything rises and falls on leadership. Oh, what a great quality characteristic God has given to some of His people and some have, have developed that in their life. But let me tell you what the t- is sometimes a leader who's used to telling everybody what to do pretty soon he'll think he's right about everything and for him pride would be the flip side of that and uh, it's a very unique thing to be smart about everything and humble like I am very unique and uh, again that was supposed to be funny but the point is this if you lead a lot you get used to leading you get used to being right and pretty soon you, you tend to think you're right about everything Right? That's the point. You don't want anybody to correct you. 
and you're so proud and think I got all the answers. And that's the flip side of that. Oh God, thank God for the for the for the for the, for the leadership of Billy. Uh, 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 same thing. Uh, same thing with uh, uh, with uh, conviction, conviction, uh, purpose. We might call it that. Uh, the Bible says in Daniel one eight that Daniel purposed in his heart. He made up his mind. I will not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat for the nine wine which he drank. I won't do it. I'll have purpose. I'll have conviction. I'll know what I believe in. I'll stand for it. Now, what's the, opposite, what's the flip side of that? Stubbornness. Stubbornness. You get so used to standing for what's right, then you're stubborn about how to roll the toothpaste thing up. Toothpaste tube. Who in this house keeps squeezing their toothpaste in the middle? Now, I'm glad you're a man of conviction, but you don't need a conviction about toothpaste. How's it squeeze? Amen? Right? Yeah. And what happens? What happens? That, that person of conviction or determination or, or purpose, if you will, may tend toward stubbornness. Can I say this? In regards to this, the, the possession of a strength does not make you immune from its opposite. The possession of a strength does not make you immune from its opposite. David was the man after God's own heart. Who did what? Gave his heart to somebody else's wife. You with me? Paul was a man of doctrinal purity. Those epistles that he wrote uh, fill our minds and our statements of faith filled with doctrine. Our churches, the doctrine comes from the writings of Paul. And yet it was Paul who shaved his head and took a Jewish vow. very thing he had warned others against. Moses, the Bible called him the meekest man who ever lived. He's the one who lost his temper and struck the rock. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I, I'm saying just because you say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a leader, I have... Conviction. I, I, I have, I believe in doctrinal purity. I, I'm a friendly person. Okay. All right. Listen, that, because you're strong in that area does not mean you cannot be tempted in the corresponding opposite area. But it also means this. The possession of a strength does not make you immune from its opposite. But here's the hopeful part. The possession of a weakness does not make you immune from its opposite. Are you with me? The possession of a weakness does not make you immune from its opposite. In other words, a person who is, okay, let me go back. A person with strong conviction may be, fall to a stubbornness. But wait a minute. A stubborn person may become a real man of conviction. How many times have I said in the school setting to someone in leadership, man, that kid is a bulldozer. If we could just get him pointed in the right direction, he could really do something for the Lord. How many you know what I'm talking about? Right? So here, here's a, here's a, a bulldozer personality, so to speak. But, but you say, that's so frustrating. I can't get that cooperate. They're just so stubborn about this. I, I tell them to sit and they, they won't sit and they finally sit and then they say, I'm standing up on the inside. I mean, uh, listen, but here, what if that, what if that stubbornness could become resolve and purpose and conviction. Wow, what something could be done for God in a life like that. In the same way, someone who's pharisaical, someone who may look down on their nose, but listen to me, that person could very well be the person who teaches us something about moral purity. By the way, listen, that means this, not everybody who lives a consecrated life is a pharisee. Are you with me? And not everybody with an attitude about pharisaicalism is somebody you can't learn from. You can learn from them. Even if they're doing right the wrong way. To do right, be separated with a Pharisee attitude, that's that's right done wrongly. Guess what? You can can learn from somebody like that. Let's think about that uh, attribute of uh, uh, a pride. Of pride. Hey, uh, here's a kid. He's he's, he's, he's naturally, he's, he's cocky. He's cocky. Give me the ball. You know, give me the ball. Feed me. Thunk. You know, or whatever. In class, sports, whatever it is. Now, he's, he got, he's got to be front and center. Now, wait a minute. You say, that kid needs to be knocked down a few notches. Okay, all right, maybe so. But maybe God is developing him into a great leader. 
How about that? Maybe God is going to take the opposite of that and he'll become a great leader. Here we are. We're coming down to the end. Let me review. Number one, we're all made of the same stuff. Number two, we all find in ourselves what we find in others. Number three, every human attribute has its opposite. That's what, what I'm saying. Look, listen. You do not possess a positive quality in your life without potential for its opposite. Do you understand that? Which is why every one of us ought to walk soberly in this world. Amen? With our eyes wide open. Let him that what? Thinketh he what? Standeth take heed lest he what? Fall. So, every human attribute has its opposite. And then number four, and lastly, this leads us to see the good and potential for good in all people. This leads us to see the good and the potential for good in all people. Look, listen. If you, if you would stop and realize... Brother Jeff, stand up for just a moment. Let's say that I, let's say I am the the, uh, the 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 people pleaser. All right, I'm the people pleaser, and uh, and uh, you're the compromiser, which we all know you are, of course. Um, but do you know what? It, what if I if I'm listen, if I'll understand the ground is level at the foot of the cross, I'm made out of the same dirt he's made out of. The attributes in my life are common attributes in his life, and their corresponding opposites. Everybody with me so far? Then that means this. When I look at him and say, that stinking compromiser, I wouldn't spit on him. You would if you would stop to think that in him, what is in him is also in you. What's in him and the potential for how that manifests itself in his life is also in me. Before you be, decide to be too harsh and pharisaical toward the compromiser, you might want to hit the pause button on that. And you could say, God, thank you for keeping me from that. Thank you for keeping me from that. That could be me. And let me walk more soberly. And let me pray for my brother. And let me pull for my brother. Because why is it? Why is it? That when we describe ourselves, we describe ourselves by our best qualities. And when we describe the God we don't like, we describe Him by His worst qualities. Why? You know why? Because we love ourselves. Bottom line is pride. Somebody says, how are you doing on your Bible reading? You define that by your best days usually. All pretty good. I mean, you had a two-day streak seven weeks ago. Look, look, listen. If this, this ground is level at the foot of the cross will absolutely cure your tongue of criticism and gossip if you truly believe that. If that wasn't just a little trite saying, if it was actually meant something to you and you saw in others the ones you want to look down your nose at, the ones you want to criticize and write about and tear them down and they're worth nothing, you say, well, hey, that got cheated on his wife and the potential to do the same is in you. Well, that got stolen. The potential is the same in you and me. We're made out of the same stuff. What right does dirt have to to, to criticize dirt? We're all made from dirt. We're glorified mud balls is what we are. Listen to me. Listen, what we ought to do is stop and realize that by God, by the grace of God, I could have given to my weaknesses like someone else might have given into their weaknesses. But by the grace of God, there go I. And if I look and see, oh man, the, the, the man gave in to his weaknesses. Oh God, help him and, 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 and restore him and send him a load of encouragement and pull for him and pray for him instead of talking about him. It might just be that humility will spare you from the same weaknesses when temptation comes your way. Who would have ever seen Nebuchadnezzar as a servant of God? Nebuchadnezzar stood up and said, look what I've done by the might of my power, my great Babylon that I have built. And God said, and something in his head clicked and he was insane for the next seven years. He groveled around the palace grounds like an animal. His hair grew out. His fingernails grew out. He lived as an animal for seven years. And God humbled that man. He was a great leader. 
No doubt about it, he was a great leader. God humbled that man, and then he rose up to say, the true God is the one that sets up kings. He's the one that appoints leaders. He rose up to give God glory for his position of leadership. God humbled him. And in Jeremiah chapter 30, chapter 43 and verse number 10, you will find, listen to it, you will find Nebuchadnezzar described through the prophet Jeremiah by God himself as my servant. Nebuchadnezzar. God called Nebuchadnezzar through the prophet Jeremiah my servant. Now, friends, listen. If you lived there in that day, you wouldn't have much hope for Nebuchadnezzar being a servant of God. And yet God made him one. Psalm 106, the psalmist said, that I may see the good of thy chosen. That I may see the good of thy chosen. When that Samaritan woman was saved by the well, the disciples are going in town to get something to eat, and they were coming back, headed to the well where Jesus was, and they saw her going back into town. They didn't. They didn't speak to them. That's a curious thing. They didn't think that God would use her. The whole town would get shaken for Christ. She went back in and gave her testimony of what God did. God picked some unlikely people. Closing illustration. Two closing illustrations. Number one. And you, and you won't know who this is, and if you do figure it out, I, I won't hurt anybody by saying what I'm getting ready to say. Brother Hamilton's a thief. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That too was funny if you missed it. But um, but no, this this just happened. It's the first little story. But I was standing in the hallway about a week or two ago. And one of the kids in the church had been sick. And the family had let us know about it. Please pray. There was some uncertainty there. There was some pain. A little child was having some pain. And some uncertainty about it. And uh, Mom and Dad were in the, in the, uh, uh, in the uh, uh, hall there. And... Um, and I said, hey, you know, how's, how's the child doing? Oh, fine, 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 fine. Uh, and, uh, and dad, dad did what dads do. And dad made light of it. He made light of his child, you know, whatever his child was going through, the pain or sickness, whatever it was. He made a little light of it. He said, you know how mamas are, you know, mamas worried, you know. And, and, uh, and uh, he, he, he slighted his wife just a little bit. Just a little bit he slighted his wife when he said that in front of me. And uh, and, and I, I knew she felt just a little uncomfortable. By the way, by the way, moms, don't don't don't, don't take that too much. We do, we overdo it sometimes. But you know, kids need you to kiss their boo boos, and they also need dad to say, "Oh wow, that's awesome! Look at the blood, man, that's great." Amen. They need both. They need both in their life. Amen. Uh, dads don't kiss boo boos. They they say they take selfies with them. Look at this. Oh, okay. All right. So anyway. But listen, listen, you know what happened? You know what happened in the next service? That man came up to me and said, Pastor, can I say something to you? And we were in a private spot. He said, Preacher, oh, you an apology. I said, what for? He said, I disrespected my wife in front of you. And let me tell you something. I already had respect for that man. But he went up another notch when he did that. He went another notch when he did that. My dear friend, let me tell you something. God help us to see that the good in others could be in us and that the failures that others experience also carry with it a potential for good. Would to God we'd see that. I learned something a few weeks ago when I was in Israel. There are caves all through certain regions of Israel, especially the mountains are filled with caves. The zealots were Jewish people who refused to submit to the uh, leadership of Rome. Rome was a world empire. And Rome uh, came and conquered lands, of course, and conquered nations and ruled the known world. And they came into uh, uh, Judea and that region and they conquered the Jewish people and brought them under Roman uh, rule under the iron fist of Rome. But the, the, the Jewish uh, zealots were those who refused to 
submit to the authority of Rome. In fact, they, they believed this so strongly, they believed that Rome's authority over their nation was illegitimate, and they believed it with such conviction that they said, if we pay taxes to the Roman government, we are, in essence, saying we recognize your authority, it's illegitimate authority, and we would, in essence, be worshiping an illegitimate authority, recognizing and worshiping and paying tribute to an illegitimate authority, and to do so would be idolatry. And so they refused on basis of, of conscientious objection. They, they refused to pay taxes to the Roman government because they did not want to be guilty of the Ten Commandments, one that said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, not bow down to them and serve them, and so forth, so forth. And so these zealots refused to pay their taxes. Well, guess what happened? The tax collectors came looking for them. And the tax collectors had with them the authority of the Roman government. Those tax collectors, obviously, they, 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 they'd hide when the tax collectors come. After a while, they couldn't hide anymore. They had to flee their homes. Where'd they go? They went up into the caves. And they end up living in caves. The tax collectors then uh, would, uh, would gather uh, uh, and find out where some of these zealots are and, uh, and uh, spies or whatever you want to call it. And they'd get together and they'd go up and they'd besiege a spot. And they'd, they'd round up those tax collectors. They'd pay, due to, uh, pay, their, pay their tax and, and pay otherwise. And, uh, and, uh, 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 and, uh, of course, the, the, uh, the culmination there, uh, probably the most famous example of that would have been Masada. Remember the great fortress on top of the mountain and those zealots held up there and Rome came to, to drag them off the top of that mountain. And, uh, and when it was, uh, the battle was all but lost, they retreated for the night. The gates had been burned. They would come in the next morning and take them all captives. No way to flee from that mountaintop. And they came in the morning, the next morning and all those zealots had committed suicide. And uh, it's a famous story. Well, did you ever think about this? Jesus had 12 disciples, right? Simon Zelotes. Remember that in the Bible? Simon the Zealot. Simon the man who refused to pay his taxes. Simon the man who would flee his home and live in a cave before he would submit to the authority of an illegitimate government of Rome. And who else? Matthew, the tax collector. What? God put on his team two arch enemies with completely different strengths? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And can I tell you something? Don't you discount your potential for God. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you let the devil tell you this is a very little Christian and I just wasn't born into the right... Christian caste system, that's a bunch of baloney. You have God's Spirit living inside of you. If you're struggling with a weakness today, you listen to me, don't you give up hope and say, I'll never do it. I never. No, 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 the potential for you, you see for good in others, is for you. Amen. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Let's quit talking about each other and pull for each other and encourage each other and pray for one another. Heads bowed, eyes closed.